Hey everyone, you're tuned into InfoQuench with Jeff and Amy. Join us as we talk about anything and everything. All the stuff that makes life interesting. So let's get to it. Hey everybody, you're listening to InfoQuench with Jeff and Amy. And this podcast, we're going to be talking about uh awesome book called The Four Agreements. The Four Agreements written by Don Miguel Ruiz. Written in what year? Uh, 1997. In what, what's the publishing company? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Talk about a quiz. You know what's interesting is when I had looked up, uh, you know, I, I bought this book. Uh, well, you bought this book for me, actually. I buy you all your books. Baby. I know you do. You yeah. listen to what I'm looking for and you, then you pick it up when you see it and yeah. it's great. Yeah, you bought me, the, I read this book a few months ago and I've been meaning to do a podcast about it and I actually saw a post from uh, uh, the mayor, actually the mayor of our city. Uh, Don Darling had uh, done several posts on the four agreements. He, he yeah. It's a book that, that he loves. And uh, so it reminded me that I wanted to do a podcast episode around it. And it is a classic. Uh, yeah, 20 plus years has been around. and 20 plus years. Just, just as an aside, Don... And hasn't added to the agreements at all or anything like that. It's just always been four after 20 years. No, actually, amazing. well, he, does, he did come out with more. Oh, Don, okay. Miguel, Don Miguel Ruiz... Uh, I should mention, you know, when I, I talk about the mayor of our city, we proudly host our podcast at a St. John, which is a, a beautiful, awesome city in the province of New Brunswick in Canada. So, uh, yeah, I don't know where you're listening from, but uh, if you're ever in our neck of the woods post-pandemic, come visit St. John, New Brunswick. Absolutely. The author's name is Don Miguel Ruiz, and I didn't know this. I learned this uh, in researching this episode. Do you understand what the meaning of Don is in... Mexican, like uh, is, in, in, in the Mexican culture, I guess, or the, I guess. In, isn't it the patriarch of a family? Well, it's, it's, I guess it's more yeah. like I, when I saw Don Miguel, I thought Don was his first name, Oh, but it's not, it's like a prefix. So it's sort of similar to like Mr. or Mrs., which would be senor, senor, uh, senora as it would be the, in Spanish, that's how you would say it. Yeah. But, um, if you were to hear somebody called uh, Don in Mexico, in Spanish, Don is more of a term of respect, and it's used with the first name or the full name. So you would be either Don Jeff or Don Jeff McLennan, oh. but you'd never be Don McLennan, the oh, way yeah. Mr. is used. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, long story short, the author is Miguel Ruiz, but the the full title is Don Miguel Ruiz because of that right term of it, respect that prefix of respect so yes. just a little added uh yeah you know wow. something i learned yeah. in researching it because i saw two different names for the author and i thought is his name don or what so, and then i so how did you hear about this book was it was it the the, the mayor don darling was reading it i think i think he had, had posted about it and i think i heard it referenced in a few different places but okay. uh yeah you know, sometimes things just become, come on your radar, and it, it's like when you learn a new word, and all of a sudden you hear them everywhere. It was sort of like yes. that with this book, okay. um, even with Man's Search for Meaning, which we did, uh, if you are interested in that book, we did a series, uh, three-part series of episodes uh, not too long ago, so be sure to scroll back in our catalog for to find those. For such a small yeah. book, we got three-part series out of it. That's amazing. I know. Well, some of these small books, they can pack a lot of meaning into it, and this book, too, is also relatively short, only a little over 100 pages, so it's a very quick read. But, so you knew uh, what to expect going into this book to a degree. You know, you knew it was going to be a life-affirming read. Well, yes, I'd hoped it would be. Okay. 
Um, so what it is, is uh, so when you, when you look at sort of the definition of this book, it, it's uh, described as revealing the source of self-limiting vi- beliefs that rob us of joy and create needless suffering. Um, and it's based on ancient Toltec wisdom. Uh, so it's said to offer a powerful code of, code of conduct that can rapidly transform our lives to a new experience of freedom, true happiness, and love. So you know a lot of lofty promises in all that. positivity. Though <laughs> you can't you can't fault anybody for that. Well, and I I always love these types of books. You know they just get you thinking thinking about how you can live a better life. Uh, mm-hmm. You know how you can be more meaningful in, in in your own life and how you can be more meaningful to those around you. So as mentioned, uh, published in 1997, it's uh, sold around 10 million copies already in the U.S. It's been translated into 46 languages, so a very well-known, uh, well-circulated book. Yeah. Um, well, just a little around the author. He was born in rural Mexico, youngest of 13 kids, and uh, he actually did an op- uh, Oprah O Magazine interview. Oh, all right. So, Did you read it? I did. Uh, and he claimed that his book was based on wisdom he learned from his elders in Mexico, and he felt it could change lives, and that it had, it had changed his own. So the Toltecs, when we talk about ancient Toltec wisdom, uh, they were artists and spiritual seekers who thrived in Mexico hundreds of years ago. And before they were forced to hide their ancestral wisdom from the European conquerors. So they kind of hid, it's considered to be like this wisdom that was sort of hidden away and now is brought back to the forefront. You know, and rightfully so. (laughs) And the author's grandfather and mother both practiced Toltec healing and and teaching. So uh, if I recall from the book, his his grandfather was a shaman. And, uh, but Ruiz, Ruiz himself, the author, rejected the tradition. He went to medical school because he wanted to become a surgeon. But in his final year of school, he got into a really bad car accident um, hmm. and luckily was physically uh, unscathed, but emotionally he would never be the same. And that's what he calls, uh, you know, an out-of-body experience that transformed his worldview. And that's when he sought his grandfather's guidance. Okay. And that's sort of where this Going book back came in from. Time. So years later, he distilled this, uh, this Toltec teaching that he learned from his grandfather into this book, The Four Agreements, and the, and the basic premise of which is that most of the drama and suffering in our lives is self-created. Self-created. And, that, and we, we can learn to ourselves. live another way. We can learn to live without that level of suffering. I'm realizing that um, every book that we cover on in any of these podcasts you're the only one that has read them <laughs> i'm just realizing you mean that. between the two of us <laughs> between the two of us between all those people i often try to get you to read these books but you have I your own interests i don't yeah i guess yeah yeah that's pretty much and what that's it boils okay. down to that's pretty you know what I, I could probably read one of these books and it would just like you know completely alter my cosmology you know who knows well I mean, even Man, Man's Search for Meeting to me was a life-changing book, and I'd hope that you would read it, but uh, you haven't I will, read it yet. I will read it. I will read it. I don't even, <laughs> but that's okay. Is like it that's, around? Because yeah. the, the idea is that uh, even with these podcast episodes, so I understand life is busy. We don't all have time to go out and Big time. Uh, buy a book and, and, and spend the time to read it. So hopefully we give you a little bit of the Coles Notes, the highlights, and you can take something away from uh, from the podcast episodes and that'll you know help create yeah, a little more meaning in your own life it's very very certain that these podcasts when we cover these books is not like a a uh, 
substitute for actually reading the book. You know, read the book. We're not going to tell you everything that's in the book, but we'll cover. No, but I think we'll give you enough highlights that yeah. even if you don't have a chance to read the book, you can still learn some great stuff from the the episode. So, what is the first element? So, refusing. So, so, just to kind of finish off, you know, when he when he did that interview, his his thinking behind the book was, uh, you know, one of the major premises is by refusing to buy into everything we've been taught about who we are, how the world works, and how we must react. And by making four simple pacts with ourselves, we can become dramatically happier regardless of our external circumstances. Do you exercise these four things now? I do. All of them? All four? You don't skip any? I try to do, yeah, I try to do them all. I'm fascinated to find out what they are. <laughs> See, Learn you don't more e- about you my wife here. You don't even know what they are. I have no idea. Can you but guess how many there are? I'm interested. I, Based I'm on gu- the title? I'm guessing four. There are four agreements. The first one is to be impeccable with your word. So okay. I'm going to give you a little summary of what that means according to the book, and then, we'll, think, and then we'll discuss. Can I, can, I, can I just interject just for a second? Like, okay, uh, yeah, what, sure. What, Tell what, me what's your interpretation what of what I that think, would be. Well, I mean, for example, when you're, like, when you're seeing somebody that you haven't seen in a long time or whatever, and, you, and just as you're, you have a great conversation, just as you're about to leave, you say something like, yeah, we should get together soon sometime, or, I get, or I'll, I'll give you a call in the next couple of weeks or something like that. And But it's just one of those formalities sometimes lip that service. people say, this lip service thing. And nobody really actually, well, I shouldn't say nobody does it, but nine times out of ten, people don't. They say they're going to, but they just don't. Well, yeah, it's almost like a pause, like a have a great weekend yeah. without really thinking about... Whereas if we were like true to our word... You know, if we said that we were going to do something, then we would most certainly do it. So that's definitely part of it. So the idea of speaking with integrity, you know, holding true to what we mm-hmm. say and uh, and following through, that's definitely a huge part about uh, the first agreement of being impeccable with your word. Another is to say only what you mean. Um, avoid using words to speak against yourself or to gossip about others. Oh, yeah. And... Gossip then is finally, so use the power of your word in the direction of truth and love. So there's some quotations from the book that I found to just kind of help explain the idea of this first agreement a little bit more. It talks about the domestication of humans. So through this domestication, it's, we learn how to live. So when we're children, we're taught the name of things like our, our parents tell us, this is milk, this is a bottle. Mm-hmm. And day by day at home and at school and at church, from television, we're told how we should live, what kind of behavior is acceptable. But we also learn how to judge. We judge ourselves. We judge other people. We judge neighbors. We do. Um, so yeah. we, we try to train our children, whom we love, uh, much the same way that we were trained, almost like in how we would train a domesticated animal. We kind of have this system yeah. of reward and punishment when they do the right things, when they have good manners. Uh, you know, when they show respect, we're like, you're, you know, good boy. Almost yeah. almost the way we would do. I mean, it sounds horrible to compare children to animals, no, but just I the idea mean, of that domestication. I, yeah, I, I understand. Right? And so we that becomes ingrained in us as humans. And it's so strong that eventually we don't need anybody to tell us. We just kind of have it ingrained in us. So much so that we have like this negative dialogue that goes on in our mind when we do something we shouldn't do, 
or mm. we think is wrong and we'll have negative self-talk. Okay, yeah. So it's the idea that, you know, the word or how we perceive things can have a lot of strength in, you know, our overall emotional mindset mm-hmm. and yeah, just how, how the world is. So, uh, Dr. John Johnson did a, an article in, in, uh, psychology today, and he sort of looked at the four agreements. So I found his take on it interesting. So just in looking at the, the take, his take on the first one, be impeccable with your word, he says that words can create reality. We act on what we tell ourselves is real. So, hmm. you know, we, if we have negative self-talk, we'll tend to believe it. So when we think about what kind of words do we use to describe our reality? Do you lie and say hurtful, poisonous things about yourself or others? And to be impeccable with your word is to be truthful and to say things that have a positive influence on yourself and others. Hmm. So, you know, children are born to be, you know, loving and playful and, genuine but as parents we teach our children you know that there are certain standards of behavior and how they need what they need to do to receive love and to avoid criticism are they saying that that's wrong to do or i think it just is i don't know if it's wrong to do but i think it's just human reality that that's what we do to our kids in a way right that's it's part of civilization that's also very complex because i mean there's a lot of talk about words and language but Words are just symbols for much larger things that we can't explain. You know what I mean? Like, their words are just, you know, uh, they're not even, they're, they're just ways to signify larger ideas, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, you know? So it's hard to really pinpoint an idea with words because words are just like, a glimpse of the actual idea. But they're, I, I but they're incredibly, well, they're, they're really powerful in a way that, I mean, I'll just go back to another quote from the book. So by hooking our attention, a word can enter our mind and it can change our whole belief for better or for worse. So yeah. an example would be, if you believe that you're stupid, you may have believed this for as long as you can remember. Yes. And this agreement can be very tricky. It's causing you to do a lot of things just to ensure that you are stupid. You sort of reinforce that belief of yourself. You may do something and think to yourself, I wish I were smart, but I must be stupid or I wouldn't have done that. And the mind goes in a hundred different directions that we could spend days getting hooked by just that one belief in our own stupidity. So the act of believing sometimes makes things real. Makes it so. And then one day someone might hook your attention using the word and let you know that you're not stupid. And you believe what that person says. And then you make a new agreement with yourself. And as a result, you no longer feel or act stupid. It's like a spell is broken just by the power of that word. And, I mean, it's like people who believe that they're just not good at math. Yeah, I'm one of those people. Right? And, I, I, I mean, I can talk about from a personal experience. I, for the longest time, had always thought I was not a good public speaker. Yes. Um, not a good presenter. And a few years ago, I participated in a startup competition around, you know, you'd you'd spend over the weekend um, with uh, other, you know, people who had an entrepreneur mindset and you just try to brainstorm on different business ideas. And then you would do a presentation to potential investors to get them on board with it. And I have always had in my head since I was a kid that I just was not a great presenter. But 
I presented on behalf of our team, and we ended up coming in second place amongst yes. you know some very uh, you know well seasoned presenters, and with that with that one event that one weekend i changed my mindset and said you know i had the self-limiting belief that i'm just not good at presenting and then i'm like well you know with proper preparation and you know the right attitude you can yeah anybody can can accomplish that task and be a great presenter so um another example that was given in the book that really stuck to me was uh the idea that, you know, there's a mother who goes to work and has a really rough day at work and has a splitting headache, a migraine, comes home, and her daughter is running around the house singing. Yeah. And the mother's headache just will not subside, and she, like, loses it all of a sudden. Normally a really caring woman, but all of a sudden snaps at her daughter and is just like, shut up, you know, you have an ugly voice. <laughs> or stop singing. Or, yeah. And just snaps at her for Vocalizes it. Vocalizes that frustration. And a very much a reflection of what the mother's going through. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, that young girl becomes a grown woman who lives her entire lifetime thinking she can't sing. Or that she has an ugly oh, voice yeah. and doesn't speak up in meetings or doesn't speak up in a group setting or Words has social anxiety. Words are very, anxiety. very powerful. They're very, yeah. very powerful. And you have, to use, you have to learn to use them wisely. But, you know, people... people I, I don't think there's a person alive, like, you know listening to this podcast or whatever that has never said something that they regretted. Oh, of course. I mean, we are all human. I think the idea is just to be, to be, you know, aware of conscientious of of the negative self-talk and, and Mm -hmm. try to focus on being more positive and being positive also with what you're saying about other people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because sometimes saying something negative, and we see this in, you know, we see this in the, in in the media, on social media, uh, saying negative things can sometimes make them almost a reality. Yeah. So we need to be conscious of that. Um, The second agreement is don't take anything personally. I think this one's probably pretty self-explanatory, but what does it mean to you? Uh, I, I'm not sure like the context uh, they're referring to in the book, like don't take anything personally. How can you not take anything personally? Well, the idea is what, don't take what other people do to you personally. Um, so, you know, in summary, nothing others do is because of you. What others say and do is a projection of their own reality. And when you're immune to the options and actions of others, then you won't be a victim of needless suffering. Uh, I mean, part of that is, you know, somebody, each person sees the world in a unique way and the way that others treat us says more about themselves than it does about us. That's a real tough one. You'd have to condition yourself not to be affected by what other people say and about you. you, But I've been working towards this and it is something you can can accomplish. I mean, we've talked about before the idea of a paradigm shift of, uh, you know, somebody cutting you off in traffic and you think, are they just doing that to me personally? Or do they have something else going on in their life? Yeah. It could be the way on the, on the way to the hospital. Who knows? Right. That's why they're going so fast. Who knows? Right. Right. Or maybe you're buying your coffee and you know, the uh, person serving you is in a really bad mood and they snap at you, but then they also snap at the next person and the person after that. Yeah. Is it a reflection on you and how they feel about you, or is it more about what they maybe have going on in their own life? How do you effectively net, let that not bother you, though? How, how, do you, how do you just let that slide off your back when people are mean to you and, and like, you know, speak to you in a very, you know, horrible way? How do you, 
How do you do that? I think it's just always the idea of not always knowing other people's stories, right? Realizing yeah. we don't know what other people are going through. Right. And giving them the benefit of the doubt. It's, I don't think it's easy. I think that we're ingrained as a species to want to be loved, to be accepted. I mean, as humans, we, that was, you know, we look back in history, that was part of our survival. If we weren't accepted by the tribe and we're able to hunt together yeah. and, 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 and live together. And if you were an outcast, it could be the difference between life or death. So yeah. as humans, we, by nature, have the need to be accepted. So when people are, you know, mistreating us or say something negative toward us, we definitely take it personally. But yeah, I it's guess recognizing it's just... that people are the way they are. People do say the things they do. People do act the way they act for a particular reason. You may not know that reason, but that reason is out of your control. So why let it bother you? Well, that's right. You have no idea what their individual experience, life experience has been that have caused them to form those beliefs. Yeah, I work with that firsthand with my work. You know, like I see, I see that, you know, I see that people are a certain way for a certain reason that I don't really understand, but I know that it's there, you know, and that, so you, you, in that way, like just like the example of like somebody rushing and you think, well, are they going to the hospital? You give them the benefit of the doubt. Well, know? yeah, your work is a perfect example. Yeah. You know, because sometimes we are working with individuals that uh, can be quite aggressive towards us yeah. or negative, but they've been through such exceptional life circumstances. How could we expect them to act any other way? Yeah. Now, There's a really great book, and, and I, I'm just going to say this just quickly, called uh, There's No Such Thing as a Bad Kid. I work, at, by the way, I work at a group home. I work uh, with... Uh, you know, I'm a youth care counselor at a group home. Um, anyways, like there's no such thing as a bad kid. And it's true. There's no bad kids. There's just products of their environment troubled. And yeah, they products of their environment. So when you look at it, and you have a child who's gone through maybe extreme abuse, or just a difficult life situation, Mm. whatever it may be, and they act violently towards you, do you take it personally? Absolutely not. You can't. Right. So you, it's that same concept, yeah. but extending that exactly. to I, all I, people I completely in the world. understand it now, like I do. And that's what we talked about earlier about a paradigm shift, right? When you yeah. kind of understand something and it, it shifts something in your in your ideology, you know? And the difference, I guess, in your work environment is you're actually privy to know that they're, the individuals are coming from difficult situations, so you know the background. Yeah. I guess the idea with yeah. this is just to assume that Anybody right, could be right. coming from some, a such a yeah. background, right? Yeah. And that what how they act towards you is a reflection of that mm-hmm. and not of who you are. Right. And so not to take that personally. It's like if someone, like just say, for example, for sake of talking, you're walking down the street and someone punches you right in the mouth. Like, well, they did. you didn't cause that to happen, for one. You, you were just walking down the street, so it's pr- completely unprovoked. You have no idea why that person, like, w- w- are they, like, you know, are they having some mental breakdown? Like, you don't have no idea, but it can still, it, it can still be a horrible experience. Well, <laughs> it is, but in that context, you would know very quickly that you're not to blame. But if right. you had some interaction with that individual, then you might start to wonder whether or not you are to blame yeah. and whether you should take things personally. Yeah. Is it because of who you are? So it's interesting how how that can go. I think it's very much just a it's a it's something you have to actively work it's at. It's empathy. It's empathy for other people's ideas, thoughts, experiences and not just thinking not just thinking that you caused something. We we live in a universe where anything can happen at any time. You know what I mean? Anyway. 
When I look at the third assumption, it's or sorry, sorry, the third agreement is don't make assumptions. So this is the idea to find the courage to ask questions and express what you really want. Communicate with others as clearly as you can to avoid misunderstanding, sadness, drama. And with just this one agreement, it is said you can completely transform your life. So this is an interesting thing when you think about relationships and communication yeah, and how people react you know, in in a relationship. So in any kind of relationship, and I'll just read this quote from the book, we can make the assumption that others know what we think and that, uh, and we don't have to say what we want. They're going to do what we want because they know us so well. Mind readers. Right. If they do not, if they don't do what we want, then we assume, um, that they are just looking to hurt us (laughs) or, you know, that they knew better and they just decided not to. And we think, how could you do that? You should know. We are making the assumption the other person knows what we want. And a whole lot of drama is created because we make this yeah. assumption and then put uh, put even more assumptions you on know, top of it. In all honesty, that is something that you and I got a handle on real quick. Well, actually, I don't even think we needed to get a handle on it. We just communicate, right? Right. It's, it's, it's all about, about open communication. Don't assume yeah. other people know how you're thinking or feeling. Um you know, uh, or what you've been through, or, you know, you, you just, you need to say it, uh, mm-hmm. say the things out loud and don't make the assumptions. So when yeah. I look, go back to Dr. Uh, John Johnson and he, he sort of talks about uh, great name, by the way, John Johnson, um, <laughs> <laughs> he, you know, he talks about the idea of, uh, of mind reading and obviously nobody can read minds, you know, and when we try to do that, then we're just, we just lead ourselves down a rabbit hole. What is so, it about the type of person who expects you to read their minds that we've all known somebody like that? Well, sometimes when you're just in a relationship, you think people should know you so well that they know what your needs are or can understand what you're thinking. We assume a lot in daily life. Um, but, you know, the idea, Dr. Johnson says, is we should be almost like children and just ask questions, you know, even yeah. if it's not out loud, but step back and just try to figure things yeah. out and just say, you know... Uh, is Did this I? person is this person acting this way for instance don't take it personally is this person acting that way because of me or yeah. uh you know or did i do something you know maybe it's not you though right but the i guess really i think that the way to counteract the negativity around that agreement is is a, around good open communication and don't assume that somebody did something or said something because of you. There could be under underlying factors that came into play that you're just never, mm-hmm. you know, going to be aware of. Yeah. Um, the final agreement is always do your best. So the idea behind this is um, your best is going to change from moment to moment. It'll be different when you're healthy as opposed to sick. But under any circumstance, just do your best and you'll avoid self-judgment, self-abuse, and regret. Um, you know, this one I find hmm. very interesting because I practice... This is something I've always practiced. This four? This is four. Okay. This is the fourth of the four Can you read four again, please? Sorry. What, what, what is four? <laughs> Sorry. Did you I, blank out there? I did. I blanked out. I always was thinking, do your best. I was thinking about... Oh, oh I did not do, do my best just there then. No. No, you did not, <laughs> Jeff, in the podcasting experience. <laughs> podcasting hosting. Why don't you uh, read that again? All right, go ahead. So the idea of always doing your best, mm-hmm. to, you know, and it's... You know, don't leave anything on the table. It's whether you're preparing to go into an interview 
whether you're, you know, um, oh, getting ready for a race. Just reminded me of something when we were we were watching some program or whatever, and they did like a, a press release for their that 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 is going above and beyond. Remember, we were watching, oh for a cover letter for a cover letter because they were trying to get a job doing something, and then they they did like a a faux press release as their cover letter. It was kind of a brilliant idea. Like that's go that's going above and beyond. You're going to remember that as a when well, you're going for, if you're like trying to hire somebody or anyway yeah no i mean that's that's a good example it's about doing your best in everything you do if you do that then you don't have to have any regrets Mm -hmm. so if you're for instance if you go into a job interview and you do all the preparation and you know you, you you do all the research and you're as prepared as you can be going into it if you walk away from that interview and you don't get the job you know, you then did you everything. can know you, you can know that you, yeah. you you did everything you could to make that do happen, and it wasn't meant to be for whatever reason. If you don't do the preparation for something, if you you know you're getting ready for a race and you maybe skip on a few of your training runs, or then all of a sudden you leave yourself open to a lot of judgment, a lot yes. of regret. And I think the other piece of this is, you know, the idea of doing your best based on your current circumstances. So understanding there may be times when you're not feeling well. And so yeah. your best might be at a lower level than other times in but your it's life. still your best. But just do your best in that moment. It's the idea of just not questioning whether there's something more you could have mm-hmm. done. Yeah. Don't uh, lament on what could have been done. Just do your best in the moment. Right. So yeah. just to sort of recap the four agreements, in case people weren't listening, Jeff. <laughs> Who are you? What's going on? Where the am first I? one was to be impeccable with your word. Number two was don't take anything personally. Number three is don't make assumptions. And number four is to always do your best. And if you want more detail on the four agreements, be sure to check out the book. Uh, again, Don Miguel Ruiz. And uh, it's a classic, a quick read. So pick it up. So or you, from your library or listeners should do your best and try to listen to all of our podcasts, every one of them. Yes. Thanks for listening, everybody. Good plug, hon. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can catch up on past episodes at infoquench.com. Or just about anywhere else you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And help spread the word about InfoQuench. Till, Till next, next time. time.